0: Welcome to the sermons of Steve Galloway, pastor of First Baptist Church, Macon, Mississippi. Let us join together and study God's Word and apply it to our hearts so that we may learn His truths and live faithful, obedient lives. May God bless our time together. Matthew chapter 5, verse 6. Continue along as we continue this study in the Beatitudes. Allow me to read this verse. Matthew chapter 5, verse 6, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Let's bow together in prayer. Dear Lord, open our hearts to this truth, Lord, to know that, Lord, we need to have a a never-ending hunger and thirst for you and your righteousness, and Lord, that your promise is that as we hunger and thirst for you, that we will be satisfied. Lord, may we trust that promise. May we live in such a way that we are anticipating that promise. Lord, guide us in our study today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, we're continuing our study of the Beatitudes and the blessed are they the, that who do these things. The word blessed means to be happy. Now, we look at that word and we scratch our head when we start reading what the Beatitudes say and we say how in the world do you find happiness and being poor in spirit and being uh mournful and all these type things i mean they they sound contradictory but we tend to look at the word happiness from a human standpoint an earthly standpoint we think about happiness as being in a good situation where things are going well for us where we've got money in the bank to buy things with or we have good health and Resources, where we have joy of being with family and friends, where we have food to eat. But that's not what the Bible's talking about. That's not the happiness that the Scriptures are talking about. Matter of fact, in the absence of all these things I just mentioned, is where true happiness can be found. Matter of fact, sometimes we allow the happiness, the things that we think make us happy in the world, to get in the way of being happy in the Lord. So, how do I know this? Well, the Bible's pretty evident about it. There are many multitudes of examples of people in the Bible who found true happiness, joy, in the worst of situations. The one that always comes to mind is Paul and Silas. Paul and Silas were on a missionary journey, and they were preaching the Word of God, and because of preaching, they were arrested, and they were not just thrown into a prison cell, they were dropped through a hole into a deep dark dungeon of a prison and you would think oh woe is me what have we done why are we being treated this way all happiness is void and null but that's not the case they sang praises to the lord all night long their hearts were still filled with happiness with joy unspeakable joy but it wasn't because of their situation, obviously. It was because of their relationship with the Lord. That's where they found happiness. We also find Paul. Paul went from city to city, area to area, preaching the Word of God. And just about everywhere he went, he was ostracized. He was persecuted. He was imprisoned. He was stoned. He was beaten. And yet, throughout his ministry, he found true joy. Knowing that the the stripes that he bore were for the glory of God. And that's where his happiness was found. So basically what we find out is that happiness is not from our humanistic viewpoint. When the Bible talks about being blessed, being happy, it's talking about being happy in the Lord. And it doesn't matter about what situation you find yourself in. Uh, I'll be honest with you, I think some of the happiest people I've ever seen are the ones who had the least. Uh, the, the some of the mission trips I've been on to go into these little huts of a, in a village where you know just basically adobe type bricks that make up the walls, dirt floors, just the very basics where they can cook rice and beans each day, and they're happy because they have the Lord. They know the Lord, and that makes all the difference in the world. So let's kind of go back through the Beatitudes. The first, we see that we become happy by being spiritually poor, which sounds stupid. It sounds like there's no way that you can be happy by admitting that you are spiritually bankrupt, that you have absolutely nothing to offer to God that's of worth. Then that second Beatitude comes and says that we must admit our sinfulness. We must admit our sinfulness. We must see ourselves as being sinful and separated from God. When we finally come to that point, then we say, okay, I don't have anything to offer God to earn salvation or or to earn a relationship with Him. I'm a sinner, I'm separated from God, so what do I do about this? Well, you see that you're sinful, And you see that God provided a way to deal with sin, His name is Jesus, and you begin that process of confessing your sins before the Lord. And you realize that as you confess your sins, that God is faithful and just to forgive you of your sins and to cleanse you of your unrighteousness and to make you one of His. And then we look at the third, mourning. We mourn over, I'm, I'm sorry, that was second, mourning. The third is taking on an attribute of Jesus. What is that attribute? To be gentle, humble, meek. In the world sense, these are totally opposite of what we are brought up being taught. To be meek, gentle, humble in spirit. But God's word is saying, if you want to be one of my children, you've got to be poor in spirit, you've got to mourn over your unrighteousness, your sinfulness, and you've got to be meek, humble, gentle, Well, how do we know this is true? Because that that is how Jesus lived his entire life. He lived a life of humility. Jesus walked into a room with his disciples. They were ready to have a, a meal together. And not a single one of them treated him like an honored guest. Nobody got up to wash his feet, to anoint his head. So what did Jesus do? The leader of this group, he found a basin of water, took off part of his robe, took a washcloth, and washed his own disciples' feet. Now folks, he is the leader of this group. He is God in person, in the flesh, and yet he took on the humble role of a servant and washed their feet. Now if Jesus did that, what does he expecting us to do? How does he expect us to live? In humility, meekness, gentle. And that brings us to this, the fourth beatitude. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. As we study this verse, we need to realize that what is this type of hunger and thirsting? It is hunger and thirsting for that which is righteous. And it's kind of conveying that we need to hunger and thirst for righteousness in the same way that we would... Hunger and thirst for food and water if we were destitute, if we had nothing to eat, nothing to drink. So let's ask ourselves, what is righteousness? What is this righteousness that the scripture is talking about? Uh, Let's just change the word. Righteousness in God's eyes is godliness, to be like Christ. Jesus walked the face of this earth, God in the flesh. He showed us God as he walked, and he showed us how we ought to live. And so, to be righteous is basically be, to be godly. To be obedient to the will of God, to allow God to work in us and through us to do his good and acceptable and perfect will is to be holy. Now we don't use that word a lot in our normal English daily language. Do you walk around saying anything about being holy or talking about holiness? we typically don't but the bible does quite a bit matter of fact if you go back through uh, leviticus there's six different verses that basically have this same theme be holy for i your god am holy now if god is speaking to his servant moses and he is saying moses here's the words i want you to tell my people i want you to tell them I want you to be holy because I, your God, is holy. What do you think God is saying? What do you think He means? Does He mean, well, just try your best, just give it a, just give it a good effort. No, He's expecting us to be surrendered to Him, to allow His holiness to fill us to such a degree that we live in His holiness. That's what God expects for us to be holy. Well, you say, oh, well, that's Old Testament. Well, did you know that Peter, in his first epistle, 1 Peter, in two different places, echoes this same thing? Be holy for the Lord your God is holy. We see it throughout the word of God. Maybe not in those words, but we see this echoing throughout the scriptures that God truly expects us, to live in holiness, to live in godliness, to live as Christians, and you know what the term Christian means, little Christ, to imitate Jesus Christ our Lord, to live as He lived, to, to show ourselves as much of a mirror image of Christ as possible. And, you know, Jesus showed us attributes of gentleness, holiness, life in general, but He showed us many other fruits Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 through 25 share with us the fruit of the Spirit. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such there is no law. Now those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. And if we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. Do you see? in order to have these attributes, the fruit of the Spirit, all these attributes of Christ, we must be crucifying the flesh, no longer living according to our desires and our wants, but instead we must live by the Spirit and walk in the Spirit. That means that we need to be in His control, allowing Him to work in us and through us. So as we imitate Jesus more and more in our lives, then we will be able to focus on being godly, holy, righteous now the terms hunger and thirst why do you think the scriptures use that terminology well you got to put yourself back in that day there were a lot of people that really struggled with getting enough food and water there were many famines in the lands throughout the time of the scriptures there were times where there were no crops in the field because the locusts had came and devoured them. Sometimes there would be no rain and water would be in short supply. And so people truly knew what it meant to be hungry and thirsty. And the picture is that, that this hunger and thirst is to the point where you wonder, am I going to die because there's not enough to eat? There's not enough water to drink. When you get to that point, you get to the realization that this is the only thing I can think about. The only thing I can think about is where will my next meal come from? How would I get enough water to survive off of? According to scientists, you can live about three days without water. You can leave, live about 30 to 40 days without food. Now, some of us could live a little longer, some of us live a little bit less, according to how much we have stored up. But can you imagine, I, I doubt very seriously that any of us in this building have ever come to the point where you really didn't know if you're going to survive because you didn't know if you're going to get a next meal of water. Even in our, the time of the, the Great Depression, usually there was at least something on the table. It may not have been real nutritious, may not have been real filling, but it was something that could fill the stomach for many of us, most of us, if not all of us, we don't know what physical hunger and thirst really is. We look and we see that this hunger, this thirst, is no longer to be focused on where's my next meal gonna come from, but where's my next opportunity to be with the Lord. It's to have a hunger and thirst to be with God. And how do we do this? It means having a desire to get closer to God. Well, how do we do that? Well, here's the first place. Open up your Bibles and read His Word. As we read His Word, guess what? He speaks to us. He shows us His will for our lives. This is His user manual for us. As we read, study, meditate on the Word of God... We draw near to God. We understand His expectations of us as His children. And we see how we are to live. Another one is to have that quiet time with God. Go into a time of prayer. That intimate relationship with God that you can only have when you speak to God through prayer. And as you do that, you draw closer and closer to the Lord. But here's the unfortunate thing. If you were to examine the large majority of those who claim to be a child of God, you see little, or if any, desire to read, study, and meditate on the Word of God. The Bible, if they even come to church, sits on a table or in the back of the car, from Sunday to Sunday, is never open in between. So there's not much hunger for the Word of God, and unfortunately, prayer life is pretty miserable as well if they even do it they offer a, a quick prayer at meals they may have a little bit of a prayer in the morning and say Lord thank you for another day let guide me in all that I want to do and then at night Lord thank you for giving me a good day and off the bed and that's the consistency of a lot of people's prayer lives there's no hunger there's no thirst for having an intimate relationship with God in prayer Talking to God as if He's right beside you, which He is, or actually in you because He is through His Spirit. Spending time with your Creator. Sharing with Him the frustrations of life. Sharing with Him the joys of life. Praying that He will continue to forgive you of your sinfulness, cleanse you of your unrighteousness, fill you with His righteousness, and guide you in your daily walk. Allowing Him to be in full control through His Spirit. Unfortunately, there's a lot who claim to be a child of God who have really no desire even to be in a place like this to worship Him, sing praises to the Lord, to hear His Word proclaimed, and to say, this is what I need in order to live through this week. I needed a new filling of the Word of God through His Spirit so that I can be filled and go out into this world and serve Him. So where's the hunger and the thirst? Unfortunately, for many, it's not there. Let me share with you about these two words, hunger and thirst. If you go to the Greek and you look at all the different nuances of these words, they are found in the present perfect tense. Now, what does that mean? Folks, I am definitely not an English major, so I have to look all these types of things up. Present perfect tense means that it is present action is happening right now but the perfect tense means that it is continuing it means that you're doing it now and you will continue to do it the same goes in the uh, Great Commission where it says go ye therefore into all the world that word go is present perfect participle and basically what that means is to go and keep on going. Not just go once, but to go and keep on going. Now God is saying "Go, uh, thirst and hunger and keep on thirsting and hungering after my righteousness. It means that where do we start this? Well, we started at salvation and it continues on through the rest of our lives here on earth. So we see this as something that seeking after God... To do what's right is not something that we do just once and say, okay, I did that. I I marked it on my calendar. I've already accomplished that. No, it is a continuous action. Well, let me ask you something. I I assume most of y'all had breakfast this morning. Did that satisfy you for the rest of your life? Are you going to be hungry again? Are you going to be ready to eat again? You know, in just a few short weeks, we're going to have that traditional meal called Thanksgiving. I don't know about y'all, but... You just got to go ahead and send a gluttony. I mean, you just, you just got to do it. Because it's expected of you. Because there are about 25 dishes on the table. And if you go by and miss one of those dishes, somebody's going to say, well, What, you don't like the green beans? You don't like the mashed potatoes? You've got to put a little of everything on your plate, right? Well, I do, and I'm always a clean play club person. I can't leave anything on my plate. It, it would be an embarrassment that I did not like enough of this person's food. So, you know, after we finally eat that huge meal, what's the first thing that comes out of our mouths? I don't think I could ever eat again. And yet then we go watch a football game or sit around, do a few things, take a little nap, and before you know it you're saying why don't we heat that up again let's do it again folks that's just our human nature we eat a meal but that meal never fully satisfies we're ready for another one later on you know even whatever it is that you love the best a good ribeye steak or something like that you eat the best one you've ever eaten You say, I'll never need another one again. All that makes you want is another good ribeye steak. You want to do it again. You want that same satisfaction again. That's what this is talking about. We need to have a hunger and a thirst for God that never gets truly satisfied. At least not here on earth. It is a hunger and thirst that as soon as we get a little bit of God, we want more of God. As soon as we partake of this part of spirituality, we want to grow deeper and get closer to God and experience more of his His love, his compassion, his mercy, his grace, his salvation, all these wonderful things that God offers us. We should never be satisfied. So what is it that we're to hunger and to thirst after? Well, it's actually two different things according to where you are in life if you are a sinner without christ the first thing you need to hunger and thirst after is salvation well how do you get to that point if you have absolutely nothing to offer to god that's worthy of salvation how do you get to that point well according to the scriptures according to everything i have ever studied it begins with the word of god you somehow become exposed to the gospel of jesus christ and you through the gospel you realize i'm a sinner i've sinned against god And also through the Gospel you realize that because of my sins I am eternally, totally separated from God. That's depressing enough. Then you realize I can't do anything to save myself from my sinfulness. Then you realize through the Gospel that God gave the answer for that. God sent His Son Jesus to die on a cross in our place for our sins so that our sins, the penalty and the debt of our sins could be paid off through Him and that by believing in Him, by surrendering our lives to Him as Lord, He takes our sins and cleanses us from them, makes us pure and holy in God's sight and saves us. So the first hunger and thirst should be seeking after salvation, seeking the truth of God's word that helps us to realize now that I know that I'm spiritually bankrupt, now that I know that my sins totally separate me from God, I now know the answer it's Jesus. Now I'm seeking, I'm hungry, and I'm thirsting after Him and His righteousness, which is the only thing that can bring salvation to me. So the first thing that we hunger and thirst for is salvation. Well, I don't know how long it's been since you experienced that wonderful gift of salvation. For me, it's been about 52 years 53 been a long time what's happened since then did my hunger and thirst get satisfied 50 something years ago no see this hunger and thirst continues we use this big church word called sanctification y'all have heard it before sanctification but well, what does that mean It simply means to set yourself apart for the service to God. To say, Lord, I am no longer mine. I am now yours. And I want you to be in complete control of my life. And that is also a continuous process. From the time I was about nine years old and made my profession of faith that Jesus was Lord of my life, that he was my Savior. I sure didn't understand all that it meant to be a child of God pretty young pretty naive but since that day I feel like I've grown a lot I've continued to search the scriptures to see what does it mean to be a child of God what does it mean to serve the Lord what does it mean for him to say you are my child those are some pretty important questions to answer does it mean okay you're saved That's all that matters. Just live your life any way you want to. You know, there's a lot of people that believe that. That's not scriptural. What it means is that from that moment of salvation, there needs to be this hunger, this thirst, to continue to grow as a child of God, to mature, to get more and more information about what God expects of me to do in my life. The truths of His Word... Everything that counters what culture tells me, and y'all do understand that the majority of what is written in the scriptures is totally counter to what culture tells us, to be meek, to share love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. You don't learn that in the world, do you? That's what you learn by having a greater hunger and thirst for the Word of God. And so, basically, once we receive salvation, that next step is sanctification, and it is seeking after that which is of God. Now, we're looking for righteousness, right? That's what the scripture tells us. Hunger and thirst for His righteousness. Notice that. We are to hunger and thirst for His righteousness, not our own righteousness. No matter how good you try to be, According to the scriptures, your righteousness is as filthy rags unto God. That means it is absolutely worthless. As a matter of fact, it's worse than worthless. It stinks to God. It's filthy rags to God. That's the best that we can do on our own. Instead, what the word of God says is to surrender to me. Bow before me. Admit your unrighteousness. Admit your sinfulness, and I will do something about it. 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, He, God, is faithful and righteous and will forgive us of our sins and will cleanse us of all of our unrighteousness. So when we confess our unrighteousness, our sinfulness to God, He cleanses us of our unrighteousness. Well, does He just leave us with a blank slate? Our, Our unrighteousness is no longer there. No. He then fills us with his righteousness. According to the scriptures, we find that there are many passages that share this. How to receive his righteousness? First of all, we need to trust God's promise. What what does the word of God say? Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for his righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. That's his promise. We shall be satisfied. We will be satisfied. That hunger and thirst will be satisfied. So if God promises that He will fill us, satisfies us with His righteousness, we should be able to accept that promise. When we look at the Scriptures, let me just share probably about three or four different passages. Second Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. He made Him, Jesus, who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf, so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Did you catch that? God made his son Jesus to be sin, who knew no sin, so that we might become his righteousness. That's God's promise, and that's how it takes place through the death and burial and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Philippians chapter 3, verses 8 and 9. The righteousness he's talking about righteousness that comes from God through our faith in him first Corinthians chapter 1 verse 30 says but by his doing you but by his doing you are in Christ Jesus who became to who became to us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption so Jesus became our righteousness he became our gift of sanctification and redemption Romans 4, verse 3 and 5, through 5. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was credited, put on his count, as righteousness. Now to the one who works, his wage is not credited as a favor, but as what is due. But to one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is credited as righteousness. That's where we get it. Through our faith in God, He puts onto our account His righteousness. How does He do that? He fills us with His presence. His Holy Spirit dwells within you and me as His child of God. That's where our righteousness dwells. Not in us, not in what we can do, but in Him living in us and through us. So we need to continue to have this desire for His righteousness, His hunger and thirst for righteousness. Well, the question is, how do you know if you got it? How do you know if you are hungry and thirsting for this righteousness? How do you know if you have this righteousness? Well, first of all, you've got to realize that our own righteousness is filthy rags to the Lord. Romans chapter 7, verse 24. Wretched man that I am, who will set me free from this body that is of death? Second thing we must do. We must take our thing, our eyes off of the things of this earth and put them on the things of God, His righteousness, His faithfulness, His love, His compassion, His mercy, His grace, all these wonderful gifts of God. Then as we turn and see our own sinfulness the way that God sees it, we will have this great desire to do something about it, to confess it before the Lord, to receive His forgiveness, to be cleansed of all of our unrighteousness and then to be filled with this righteousness. Third, we'll develop a deeper and deeper appetite for the word of God, to read, study, and meditate on his word to make it a part of our lives, our hearts, our minds, our entire being. We'll also have a greater, deeper hunger and thirst for a time of intimacy with God. And that's prayer. That means we've got to say, Lord, you are more important than anything else in my life. I want to spend time with you before I do anything else. I want you to be the guiding force in everything that I say, that I do, that I think, and that I desire today. You've got to be in me, working through me, to do your good, acceptable, and perfect will in my life. I can't do it, Lord. Even my best is terrible, but you can do it through me. Fourth thing, we'll find all things of God satisfying. Now that's, when everything's going good, that's easy to say. When we feel like we're up on cloud nine in the presence of God, we can say, yes, Lord, I'm satisfied. But what about the times where we do sin against God, where we do disobey God and he has to chastise us, where he has to actually discipline us. But even then we'll say, Lord, thank you, I needed that. I was drifting away, and through you, through your discipline, you brought me back to the right path to follow. What about the times where God in His Word says, I will allow trials in your life to test your faith. Are we going to be satisfied then? hope so, because the result of those trials is that our faith grows exponentially. Our patience, our perseverance continues to grow. Our love, our joy, our peace, and all these other attributes of Christ grow. We will have a greater compassion for the world around us that is dying and going to hell without Christ. That's how we'll know if we have His righteousness. We'll, we'll desire His Word, time with Him. We'll desire to be a part of all that He wants us to be a part of. We'll see that God is working and we want to be a part of what God is doing. So, where do we go from here? We may not truly know what it means to be truly hungry and thirsting for food and water. I've never experienced that. I mean, I've been thirsty before, I've been hungry before, but not to the point where that was my all-consuming thoughts in life. But if we can take that concept of that type of hunger and that type of thirst and say, Lord, that's what I want to have for you, for your righteousness, for your will to be done in my life. When we have that desire in our hearts, then that's where God wants us. He'll be able to accomplish what He desires in our lives. As we continue through these Beatitudes, I'm going to be honest with you, they're not easy. They're not easy. They're the first words recorded of Jesus in a sermon format recorded in scripture. I think he knew that. I think he knew that these were the foundational stones that we have to have in our lives to be a true child of God. To be spiritually bankrupt, poor in spirit. To mourn over our unrighteousness, our sinfulness. To know that our sins totally separate us from God. To develop a relationship like Christ, to take on his attributes like gentleness, meekness, humility, and now to grow spiritually by having a hunger and a thirst for his righteousness. If we don't have these foundational stones in our lives, then the question is, are we truly his? Are we truly his child? That's the question I need to ask you today. Let's bow together. Dear Lord as we pause in this time of prayer Lord I believe it's a time of self-examination but we must ask ourselves do I have a true hunger and thirst for your righteousness do I truly desire Lord to grow closer to you to read, study, meditate on your word that speaks to me about all that you desire for me to understand about you and your will for my life to spend that intimate time with you in prayer, where you can speak to my heart, my spirit, and Lord, you can show me your will. Lord, to truly hunger and thirst, to do what is right in your eyes, not my own. Lord, to see sin as you see it, as something to get rid of, to confess, to receive your forgiveness and cleansing. Lord, as you cleanse us from our unrighteousness, Lord, may we seek to be filled with your righteousness. Lord, according to your word, as we truly do, we shall be satisfied. Lord, may we leave this place satisfied knowing that we're in the right relationship with you, that we truly do continuously hunger and thirst for you and your righteousness. Guide us, Lord, as we leave this place, that we may be found faithful in serving you